Hello. Hello. This is Joya Italiano. And this is Jeff Ekman. And welcome to No But That's a Thing. A podcast where we talk about the science ideas that are contained in sci-fi movies. Yeah, neither of us are experts in any of these things, but we care about them and we feel like we can make it interesting for you. So we Googled some stuff after watching a movie and here we go. Here we go. All right. Flatliners, flat, flatliners. Yeah. (laughs) Saying it in the 90s way possible. Yeah, I guess. Well, also, the day that we watched this, we were in, like, hyper, just song mode. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> just something, everything that happened, just like, just gonna go and go under town. I don't <laughs> I don't remember any of them either. No one Otherwise, went under town. Nobody went under town. So. And then, like, when we went under town, as in, like, going under in Flatliners. <laughs> okay. Right. Oh, I, okay. now I get it. Going to undertown. Oh. Ah, what does that mean? Anyway, we did Flatliners. To, to the under. Ai Chihuahua. How do we even talk about this movie? Well, take a listen to the trailer. I don't want to die. I want to come back with the answers to death and life. I have no interest in watching you kill yourself. Why are you doing this? To see if there's anything out there beyond death. It is reckless, immoral, and unethical. Today's a good day to die. We can't turn back now. I'm going further. We've experienced death. Now, somehow, we brought our sins back physically. You withheld information that's the same as lying. You wouldn't have done it. At least we would have had a choice. I did not come to medical school to murder my classmates, no matter how deranged they might be. We're running out of time. Starting CPR. One with that. Two with that. One you're not real. Got her. Don't have her. That's all I paid my dues. Flatline. Flatliners. Some lines shouldn't be crossed. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Keeper uh. Sutherland leads a group of medical students on an escapade to. Ah. It's nothing find short out, of an escapade. Find out what's going on in the afterlife. They're right. gonna because they're able to kill themselves and then bring themselves back right. in a dangerous but safe way. And you might be surprised to know that soon Kiefer Sutherland becomes obsessed with like figuring out the secret of death. Yeah. And as we learn, life as well. But right, <laughs> right. I want to know the secrets but of death and life. Ellipsis and life. I just think this is a, a classic case of. Similarly to Lawnmowerman, right? Where mm-hmm. it was like two different concepts that they were just trying to marry and it became very messy because right. you have the concept of just going under and flatlining, mm-hmm. the actual act of flatlining <laughs> right. and discovering like what happens to you when you die, trying mm-hmm. to get like super heady and existential with it there. But then the idea of the ghosts of your past haunting you as a, like it puts a spin on a traditional ghost story, which that in itself could be cool. Like, right. oh, I'm being haunted by a ghost of a boy I used to bully. You know, like right, I could see right. the value of that. But then when you combine them here, it's just too many cooks in the kitchen. Well, that's the thing. I love the premise of medical students trying to find out what's in the afterlife. Yeah. But then the problem is when you have to actually then go and describe the afterlife, <laughs> right. you're in trouble. Right. But then when you just like flippantly then throw in Billy Baldwin's character, who's like <laughs> serious, like pervert. Yeah, he's like <laughs> filming himself sleeping with women without them knowing it. Yeah. And I was thinking about how it was like early days of home v- VHS yeah. technology. Uh-huh. And so that was kind of like a newer concept. But he does not really learn his lesson. Like it would be interesting to see someone atone for being a fucking predator who tapes chicks without their knowledge right but literally the only thing that happens to him is that his wife leaves him and he's like oh oh man she really lesson yeah i'm not in jail as i should be but 
right, I learned my right. lesson. I also want to say that the movie was directed by Joel Schumacher, mm-hmm. who went on to direct everybody's favorite Batman movies. Batman. Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. <sighs> I was being facetious. Right. But. Yeah, like certain set pieces that I was like, oh, this is Batman Forevering yeah, so with hard the lighting right and now. everything. Going out of its way to be a little bit blacklit. <laughs> like, <laughs> everything was blue yeah. in the movie. <laughs> it had a blue tint. Oh. And then Kevin Bacon is in there. Yeah. Be with the best hair right. ever. It, I mean, in the realm of Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, this along with Sleepers, yeah. one of the best movies. Like, always the connecting point. Yeah, Everyone was, is in this he movie. He was putting in the work during yeah. these years yeah. to, like, make the Bacon game a reality. Right, exactly. Why don't we start off with this 21 grams idea? Let's do it. Because there's a urban legend that when you die you lose about 21 grams of weight right and people think that's the soul Mm. now the only source for this is a discredited study carried out in 1907 by a guy (laughs) named duncan mcdougall and he managed to put six people who were dying on a bed equipped with sensitive springs and claimed to have observed a sudden weight loss now Two of the six things had to be thrown out because they weren't measured correctly. Three of the six didn't show that result. So only one of the six people that he tested showed this result. And that's where this whole legend was born. Wow. He also tried the same thing with dogs and found that dogs don't have a soul. Right. Obviously. Now, what he failed to consider was the weight loss was due to evaporation caused by a sudden rise in body temperature that occurs when the blood circulation stops and the blood can no longer be air-cooled by the lungs. So your blood is getting temperature regulation by going through your lungs all the time, and that stopped, and your blood temperature raises. It also perfectly explains why the dogs showed no weight loss, because they cool themselves through panting, not sweating like humans do. So this is just a whole bunch of bullshit. Wow, that just for the large part, has not even really been questioned. It's just one of those things. Yeah, because there was a movie in 2003, I think Benicio Del Toro was in it, called... Sean Penn. Sean Penn was in it? Yeah, 21 Grams. Him and Naomi Watts? Yeah. Oh, God. And that movie was heavy as fuck, but it's it kind of like brought that... Was it 21 Grams heavy? It was probably heavier than 21 Grams. That's not that heavy. (laughs) It's pretty light. Yeah. So there's the fact that water evaporates or whatever. Is it so what is it that evaporates? Is it water? Sweat, yeah. Yeah, sweat. Okay. So that physically can happen, but that leap that it takes for you to say to explain that it's the soul. You know what I mean? It just it underlines to me, especially how before we knew what the fuck anything was, Mm -hmm. we came up with these ideas. And unfortunately people still use that because they're just like, Well, of course the soul has weight. Yeah, I saw something in the in during the research of this where it was a phrase, God is in the gaps. Sure, absolutely. And that was what people, that was like an actual scientific method kind of thinking in the late 1800s. Absolutely. Like, oh, well, the gaps in science, that's where God is. And that's what people still use. And they don't, they don't own that. Right. They don't say like, this is the gap. So obviously they try to sidestep mm-hmm. and be like, well, because you don't know what happened here, then therefore it's God. Yeah. So it was, it's just like, it's just the God of the gaps theory, but in a different name. Exactly. It was saying that intelligent design hangs its hat right on that. Precisely. Well, I mean, a lot of what I'm talking about today is, is near death experiences, out of body experiences and yeah, kind of challenging the, the things 
that you associate with that. What I a, a lot mm-hmm. of times people that have claimed having near death experiences, they they claim seeing that tunnel of light or mm-hmm. you know seeing a light flash over them or yeah just like I said that out of body experience. Before we get into the details of near death experiences, I wanted to talk about the idea of being legally dead. Mm-hmm. Because the legal definition of dead is basically when a medical professional pronounces you dead. Mm -hmm. And the criteria for that is an irreversible cessation of the heartbeat and breathing. Now, what is irreversible? Obviously, (laughs) it's defined by just a human being who is supposed to be a professional. But as we've said, as professional as we are today, we still got a lot to learn. Mm -hmm. So when somebody is saying, like, I was legally dead for three minutes, it's like, no, somebody fucked up. Yeah. Like somebody accidentally said that you were not able to come back. Right. And here you are. So Right. right. Okay. I see what you're saying. So it's like we put a lot of emphasis on this term legally legal. dead. Like it's not something made up by man. Right. Well, how you can't actually die in Disneyland, right? Oh, like they yeah. Won't they drive you to the dead. edge of the thing or whatever. Yeah. Like that's a little arbitrary uh-huh. that it's like no one dies in the happiest place on earth. <laughs> right. Legally right. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to jump in. Fuck it. it. Let's do it. Fuck it. Okay, so near-death experiences and you. (laughs) (laughs) The American Psychological Association defines near-death experiences as, quote, profound psychological events with transcendental and mystical elements typically occurring to individuals close to death or in situations of intense physical or emotional danger. You see your whole life flash before your eyes. You see a tunnel of light. You see all of these things. I I read that, like, modern researchers... Because there's a whole history to near-death experiences. Sure, sure. Think that it's likely the lack of blood flow and oxygen to the brain that puts the brain in a state of full alarm and causes the sensations associated with near-death experiences. Right. Which, reading about it, it's it, <laughs> it's especially like, yeah, no shit. Right. Like, all of the same kind of, like, I had this crazy, trippy experience while I was gone. I was like, mm-hmm. you know what else does that? Drugs. Drugs. You know what else does that? Yeah, asphyxiation. Like right. Just hallucinating because you're not functioning properly. Right. I don't know. Now it seems very obvious. And yet there's still a lot of interest in knowing more about the brain. I mean, we're still pretty early on in understanding all the complexities of the brain. Very but early. certainly understanding what consciousness is and, mm-hmm. you know, what is the difference between consciousness when you're awake and consciousness when you're not when well, you're in a coma yeah, you know like, this kind of stuff unconscious is is not dead yeah <laughs> like what yeah. the fuck is consciousness exactly you're because you're not you're not you if yeah. you're not conscious right and we've run into this in the ai episodes mm-hmm. where it's like how can we define ai's consciousness if we don't know what our own is yeah and it is let's even let's scrape the service shall we i actually found an article that was printed on the amc the, the what is it, American Movie Channel? I saw that too. And I was yeah. like, is this real? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like and, it, and I think it's like a legitimate, yeah, it was like they had a blog post. This, yeah. is, a, this is an article that was posted like eight years ago. Mm-hmm. So it's not a recent thing, but still. This is back talk- when AMC was like, AMC. Yeah. <laughs> Before they became Breaking Bad and Mad Men yeah. and that whole Walking, and Walking Dead. Dead, Dead oh, and, man. Yeah. yeah, exactly. When they're still just like, let's talk about the movie Flatliners. <laughs> American movie yeah, channel. Yeah, exactly. So this article is talking about the Human Consciousness Project, which at that time, eight years ago when this was printed, was supposed to be the, the world's first large-scale scientific study of what happens when we die. So the director of this project and the leader of AWARE, which is uh, the Awareness During Resuscitation Study... His name is Dr. Sam Parnia. He wanted to look 
particularly at folks that experienced cardiac arrest in terms of the legally dead thing. Cardiac right. arrest checks all of those boxes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you know. the um, heart stopped. There's no blood flow to the brain. Exactly. According to Dr. Parnia, he says, quote, during a cardiac arrest, there follows a period of time which may last from a few seconds to an hour or more in which emergency medical efforts may succeed in restarting the heart and reversing the dying process. What people experience during this period provides a unique window of understanding into what we're all likely to experience. Okay, sure. Now, according to certain studies, even though there's no brain activity during this time, 10 to 20% of those who go through clinical death report lucid, well-structured thought processes, reasoning, memories, and sometimes even detailed recollections of that the cardiac arrest, the actual heart attack. Wow. Um, so the point of this study was to see, like, well, God, if they're completely unconscious, how is it possible for them to recollect with this much detail and without, you know, any actual brain activity? Oh, because there is brain activity when you're having a dream. Right. But this was with no brain activity. Exactly. Okay. So one way that they were looking to try to challenge this is through out-of-body experiences. Dr. Pardia says it may be that out-of-body experiences are false memories, but until that has been scientifically tested, we can't say for sure. So I was trying to find this report. I think it was published in something called like Resuscitation Magazine or something. Like it uh-huh. was like it was about resuscitation. The study recorded a total of 2,026 cardiac arrest patients. Of that base pool of participants, about 1,920 were either not successfully resuscitated Uh or failed to qualify for interview. So you're like, already there's some people that either died or Uh they just couldn't be interviewed. I wonder if that means they like stayed unconscious or something like they were alive. Right. They don't specify. I'm, you know, I'm adding some drama to it. But (laughs) anyway, but basically we're going from a reasonably large pool of people to um, 140 patients that were actually able to complete a stage one interview, which consisted of, you know, identifying memories during that cardiac arrest. So 101 of those people completed a stage two interview, which basically just like Give us the details of what happened Mm -hmm. that time. So when you boil it down, only 9% of those folks reported near-death experiences. 2% of those people reported explicit awareness during a period of apparent death, such as seeing and or hearing actual events related to their resuscitation. How I gathered it is that even though it's clear that this is not a common thing, near-death experiences, there's a number of people that can recall certain events or whatever that Mm -hmm. more study is needed. Well, what seems clear is that something is happening in the brain to cause an experience of whatever people seem to think is the ultimate. Right. And it's not a thing where people are actually seeing the afterlife. Right. It is measurable and understandable, even though we don't understand it fully yet. Yeah. I mean, I saw that there was a paper published in 1996 where they figured out that ketamine can induce near-death experience-like things. Mm. One of the the main ways that they were trying to test this is they would place certain placards that can only be viewed from a certain vantage point, meaning that you're either overseeing or overlooking everything. Like on the top of a cabinet. Exactly. And They would put a, um, like not, a picture. Not one of those over 2,000 people was able to recall what was actually on the placards. They weren't so, actually having an out-of-body experience. Correct. Whether or not it felt like they did. Mm-hmm. And like there are other things that apparently can induce this, like G-force induced loss of consciousness. Mm-hmm. When they put some like an astronaut in a centrifuge, mm-hmm. like super fast, you'll lose consciousness. And then apparently the experiences involve tunnel vision and bright lights, floating sensations, vivid dreams of beautiful places, pleasurable sensations, all sorts of things that are in near-death experiences. I'm not trying to negate 
whatever chemicals your brain is releasing. But it's again, it's that very human leap to suggest right. that it's like a spiritual thing as opposed the to feeling a neurological is real. thing. The reality yeah. isn't. Well, because especially with the with regards to this study, one of the flaws in the methodology is that they're re- relying on people's memory and we've talked about in other episodes how frail the human memory actually right. is and how you can implant false memories and how especially when it comes to like near death or like right. er experiences like how much in our brain is that already there of like what happens when you're being rushed to the emergency room kind yeah. of stuff like relying on the mental faculties of a person who is dying mm-hmm. who is like like the sharpness of their perception in yeah. a moment where they are unconscious and literally we are recording their death right how reliable is that information and right. i understand how because there's a lot of common elements you start to get the sense from if you listen to enough of these stories like oh there is a light out there and mm-hmm. why would all these different people have the same thing but they usually correspond with cultural, philosophical, or religious beliefs. Exactly. Like seeing Jesus or seeing God. Exactly. And, yeah. and I remember hearing a whole detailed story on the Science Channel from a guy who was a scientist right. who had this experience. And what he described was first feeling like he was crawling through the dirt. And then he transformed into like an earthworm. Mm-hmm. And then the earthworm became a butterfly and he was on the wing of a butterfly. And it eventually goes through this whole process where he transforms into different things and finally ends up with an incredibly wide view of the whole universe and he felt unconditional love. Hmm. Unconditional love is one of the common elements of a near-death experience. That's clearly what he sees as the ultimate. What he's looking at there, to me, is what his physical atoms will go on and do in the actual natural universe. Because the energy that makes us up while we're alive does go on and does have literal other forms where it may become part of a butterfly. So what he was seeing was what he saw as the ultimate, whereas... If you're brought up to believe that a light at the end of a tunnel and Jesus or God or whatever, that's what you're going to see too. A lot of NDEs or near-death experiences can be explained by the release of endorphins and encephalins in the brain. And in 1983, these researchers noted that the release of endorphins can lead to blissful or emotional near-death experiences while naloxone, which is another brain chemical, mm-hmm. can produce hellish near-death experiences. Absolutely. Well, and especially the the connection that you made before about drugs and just like the th- to, yeah. because to me, so many of these experiences, you think about people going on their peyote trips or what? It, what right. is it in the Amazon? You have to like shit like violently. Oh, for... I don't know. I know peyote is a big one, but ayahuasca. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah. I mean, I've done I've done a few hallucinogens, man. I know what it is to kind of have that, like the sensation of unconditional love. Mm-hmm. To me, can be replicated <laughs> in many ways. So I've, I've heard of ecstasy. Yeah, so peyote and ayahuasca really is this whole thing where like you have to be prepared to get violently, violently ill. Right. But then apparently you have this like incredible experience, and it's not like whoa, things are dripping, man, things are melting. But it sounds to me that everything is like the clearest it's ever been. Mm-hmm. Like it really is this kind of, for lack of a better term, come to Jesus moment. I think for right. a lot of people, they go and do that. Some people advocate it for even overcoming other addictions because for whatever reason you turn this on in your brain and then like you see things clearer for the for the first time in your life now i've never done anything quite as intense as that but to me i'm like uh, why wouldn't having let's say a heart attack or getting in a car accident or anything that kind of like snaps you out of it Uh change the way that you look at life afterwards right 
it, so to me, it's like it's <clears throat> not a near death experience. It's just maybe you accepting your own mortality and yeah. going from there. Well, if you think about what those drugs are doing, it really is poison. You're yeah, poisoning exactly. yourself, which is why you puke or shit yeah. or whatever it is because yeah. it's poison well, you just put in yourself yeah, exactly. and so that poison then takes its next step which mm-hmm. is it's in your bloodstream and mm-hmm. it's gonna go to your brain our brain is just a bunch of chemicals floating around in there anyway chemicals like and that like, are naturally zaps. released Zap. by our- Zap. yeah <laughs> We release them naturally. Uh-huh. You know, if you go for a run, there's chemicals that are released in your brain. So the idea that you would be able to take some from nature that aren't really supposed to be in there right. and that they would affect your brain in like a really unique way and cause mm-hmm. something like this, it makes a lot of sense. But I think for people that have never experienced something like that or don't realize yeah. like how easy that sensation is to replicate, right. if that happens to them without that, of then it's course. like, of course it's God. I mean, it's especially compelling when you have people of science, like scientific minds that are like, now there's no question in my mind because it's my anecdotal experience, right? right, right? right. It is amazing yeah. how that happens, right? No, now I know it's real. How right. do you know it's real? Because it happened to me. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> God. Well, because one thing I wanted to expand upon is so there is that one study that I'm talking about dealing specifically with with human being patients of cardiac arrest mm-hmm. doctors. That's a dumbass way of saying that. But <laughs> one thing is talking about people. This other thing I read in Independent, but this was also from 2013. So that's what's so crazy is like I'm trying to find news about this. There's not that much like current. Well, like you mentioned the study Aware. Yeah. Aware 2, the yeah. sequel, oh, is coming, coming out. Well, it's been going on for the last two years and it's supposed to conclude in May. Of 2017. Oh, that makes sense because the study was published in 2014. Yeah, and that okay. was when it started. Gotcha. Aware two started, and so we should be getting much more results from those studies ah, in the next year or so. Interesting, because the the study should wrap up in May of 2017, and then. Oh, cool. Well, we, we can definitely do a little like follow update, up. follow up. But so researchers at the University of Michigan analyzed the electrical signals in the brains of nine anesthetized rats undergoing an induced cardiac arrest and saw activity patterns they said were associated with, quote, a hyper alerted state shortly after clinical death. So they were surprised by the high level of gamma frequency brain activity they observed. They noted that, for example, quote, at near death, many known electrical signatures of consciousness exceeded levels found in the waking state, suggesting that the brain is capable of well-organized electrical activity during the early stages of clinical death. Wow. In mice, let's be clear. (laughs) But so they at least want to say, like, the results are intriguing, but there's still no way of knowing whether the activity observed in the rats is the same that produced the near-death experience phenomenon in humans. Obviously, okay. Rats have 76 million neurons firing, and we have 86 billion. Jesus. So, but I mean, but again, like you said, there's a reason why we study rats. Right. Because it's a simpler version. If we're talking about like brain power. <laughs> That's right. like the biggest difference between <laughs> us and all the other animals. <laughs> Science. One of the things they teach you when you become a wilderness EMT mm-hmm. is the general rule of thumb is three weeks without food, three days without water, three minutes without air. Mm-hmm. And it's a rule of thumb, and there are lots of exceptions. And I remember a story from my training when it was a rescue story of a little girl who had fallen into a river. And they went searching down river for a really long time. They couldn't find her. Almost an hour later, somebody had the brilliant idea of dropping a sack of potatoes into the river where she had fallen, and the sack of potatoes immediately went like 15 feet away and under a rock. Oh, wow. And they went and found her. Oh, wow. And they brought her out, and she survived with almost no brain damage. Oh, my God. And she was completely submerged for almost an hour. What? Now, the reasons for this is that cold water, especially cold, clean water, can help protect against the effects of lack of oxygen to the brain. 
First, it triggers something known as the diving reflex, which helps to conserve oxygen by slowing down the heart and shifting blood to vital parts of the body, such as the brain. Interestingly, this response is much stronger in children, which is part of why the reason that children are more likely than adults to survive prolonged submersion. Right. Secondly, cold temperatures and the swallowing of water can quickly lead to hypothermia, and body temperatures below 30 degrees Celsius cause brain tissue to become significantly resistant to hypoxia and also re reduce its energy consumption by around 50%. Wow. So our bodies are equipped with temperature regulation mechanisms, but they're not fully developed in infants, making them more susceptible to hypothermia. And children have a higher surface area on their body relative to adults, and they have less body fat, and so they cool much faster. It's possible for children in cool, clean water to survive much longer than three minutes without air. That is unbelievable. It's so funny because maybe to some people, they really cling to this idea that, you know, miracles happen or so-and-so, mm -hmm. so, you know, God was looking down on me that day right, right. to explain these kinds of things away. And maybe maybe to some people it takes away from, from the holiness of that or the kind mm -hmm. of the, the majestic beauty of that when you say, oh, no, this could easily be explained by science. Mm -hmm. But to me, it's like exponentially more beautiful to think <laughs> that the human body has been equipped and evolved to yeah. deal with this kind of stress and to know that like we're our brains are continuing to evolve and develop we might not know everything about the brain right now but i just i just wish that people were less inclined to have to cling to these yeah. old school ideas just because well, they're there afraid is like of a the glorious mm. element to when like a kid survives after being submerged right. for an hour totally it how do you like not believe in god right. mm -hmm. but then when you find out about this it's like oh what an amazing thing the human body is. Right. When it's your own personal experience, though, that you can't explain away, yeah. the the power of human emotion is very much a thing that maybe just fires. And so you, I felt this feeling of unconditional love. Like, mm -hmm. that's an emotion. That's not... That isn't somebody actually loving you. Right. That's your right. feeling of it. Right. Yeah. I oh, mean... Man. It's, it's unclear whether my dog loves me or just wants my food. Exactly. But does it matter? It doesn't. Because I feel the unconditional exactly. love and that's what I care about. And it's your perception. And then who fucking cares? <laughs> and my dog loves me. Well, and she, especially, she does love me. She does. Yeah. She, you're taking care of her. I mean, whatever. Because also it's like, what is dog love versus human love? Right. Like right. you guys love each other, but you're not fucking, hopefully. You know what I mean? <laughs> fucking <laughs> like, not. Jeez. No, I, I, you should know. <laughs> I, I, wait. Human dog relationships are not They're the not same sexual, as male, dude. female. God. Oh man, I love her. I don't love love her. <laughs> I like uh, like her. Yeah. 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 To add like a little button to the phenomenon that happens during NED, NDEs. Yeah. NDE. I didn't know that it had its own fucking. I know. Near death NDE experience. And EBE. OBE. What's out a, of out of body experience. Out of body. <laughs> Yo, you got you done with OBE? Yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck off. Anyway, the idea of what people see in terms of like the tunnel or the tunnel of light, there could be connections between that and the visual cortex in the brain, mm -hmm. like how it's actually shaped. That makes more sense that it's going to be like the shape of a tunnel. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. So your eye, uh, that makes so much sense right? that there would be like some kind of distorted perception of what your eyes lenses actually are. Correct. That's really cool. But doesn't that make a little bit more sense than like it was a it was a stairway to heaven, a la Led Zeppelin, just like leading me <laughs> well, out? Well, our eyes are not in stairway form, right? <laughs> no, it's not. just tunnel. Yeah. Yeah. Tunnel vision. <laughs> that's um, insane. Yeah. Well, because then you think about people in comas, where it's like, because then that's even it's like you're mm. not brain dead, but 
you're not functioning, but yeah. you're very much alive. I mean, and then it raises even the other ethical questions of like, even if you are brain dead, like, are are, are we allowed to take you off the ventilation machine? Right. Are we, you know what I mean? It's like, we still don't ourselves grasp or agree on what consciousness is and the value of, of that in relation to life. Yeah. Like uh, what constitutes life then? Just, was, was Terry, Terry Schiavo alive? hello let's question. revisit that Wait, fucking wow, case yeah. but that was the first one i remember like being a kid and not really understanding like what are you what is this, what is this what about what about a feeding tube why is this and... a left versus right discussion like yeah. i didn't understand at the time but then i was like oh it's the same fucking question as the abortion question yeah. or stem cells or anything where it's like when does life start and when does life end precisely yeah. and we don't we don't even know when we fucking life fucking starts know. and we certainly don't know when it ends yeah. but we're still gonna try to legislate on it and pretend like we know better and that's dumb well especially <laughs> when it comes to the end of life like we know so little that you can feel however you want to feel about this uh-huh. but at the end of the day we need more information yeah. about consciousness before we can have a really intelligent discussion about right. it. Right, exactly. And also, it can both be cool without being super spiritual and mystical to think that even after the heart stops, the brain's Keeps functioning. electricity still still functions. Yeah. Because well, it is. We're fucking made of electricity. We're made like of fucking energy, yeah. Yeah. and energy can neither be created nor destroyed. Did you just know that? <laughs> and so, it's yeah. a part of the world. And it's about just, uh, for me at least, just developing a healthy understanding of that of of getting like oh great that's why we should probably fund more neuroscience research so that we can actually answer these questions but i don't need there to be either an afterlife or a past life i'm so super down with there being the kind of technology that can resuscitate people that are dying i.e cpr and defibrillators well speaking of that (laughs) yeah that was the well (laughs) you know joya that is a professional segue so cpr as depicted in this movie, is pretty outdated. And this came out in 1990, and they were doing five chest compressions for every one breath. Mm-hmm. And when I became an EMT, it was 15 beats for every two breaths. And when was that? And that was 10 years ago. Okay. Now it's 30 beats for one breath. Right. And you're supposed to go at the rate of the song staying alive right so i just had to get recertified for my professional fitness job yeah and yeah so for one of one <laughs> of the things say that it like that because i'm a fitness professional in los angeles <laughs> jeff i have to say it like that anyway but yeah like a, a great way to remember is just mm-hmm. do it to the like ha Ha, 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 staying alive, staying alive. Literally and figuratively staying alive. You're trying to get them to stay alive. Uh, You're yelling at them to stay alive. Stay alive, motherfucker. The Bee Gees say Uh, so. uh, The Bee Gees want you to live. But isn't that interesting from 1990 to now? Like, how different? That's why I'm no longer an EMT, because you have to, every two years, do a lot of recertification, retraining and stuff, because it's constantly changing. Sure. You'll see a lot in television and this movie Sure. Using a defibrillator on a flat line. A flat line meaning asystole. There is no heartbeat whatsoever. You would never do this. It would do nothing. Right. And that angers real doctors yeah. on, when they watch television. Because it's Claire, like, God <laughs> damn it. And it's, it's like, clear. why would you shock a flat line? You're doing nothing. You should right. never do that. Right. What you actually use a defibrillator for is your heart can go into something called fibrillation. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's called a defibrillator. Mm-hmm. And what that is, is your heart's basically spazzing out instead of having like a regular rhythm it's going it's a full-on spaz Mm -hmm. and what the defibrillator does is it comes and slaps it in the face it says get a hold of yourself right pull yourself together man right it doesn't start 
a, a, an a already stopped heart, heart right. but basically it makes all of the electrical impulses fire at once, turning it off and on again. Sure. Oh, gosh, the classic, <laughs> the classic fix. Yeah, so it, what it will actually do is it stops the heart, and then it allows the heart to restart at a regular rhythm. Right. So it's a very weird... That is interesting. It's like it's the old turn it off and on again. You know, in the movie, as with any TV depiction of someone using a defibrillator, it's like mm. the big metal, the like yeah, the paddles, and people go flying like yeah, like yeah. Come here! and it's huge. Like ah, I don't think the other. paddles have been used since 1990. No, they're like the easiest little pads that you just like, and it they're walks like you through it. Like you open the box, the defibrillator yeah. box, and it's like okay, here's what you're gonna do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, the latest, like, the, yeah. the latest ones, like the ones that they have at airports and stuff. Yeah. It's for you, the person who's never the been tried dumbo. it before. Yeah. yeah, as many classes as I've taken, like am uh. I. I really gonna resuscitate someone i don't know but just call it call up an emergency call a 911 see ask someone to go get the fucking yeah. defibrillator and if you have to use it yeah then you go through this process but it's certainly not a like oh come stat i need like right yeah and also clear is just keeping everybody away from the defibrillator like you can literally just be like stand back y'all yeah, it Stand like back. will do its own thing. It'll <laughs> yeah. even like like be like, this it is says, a shockable rhythm. Yeah. Stand back. Stand Three, two, <laughs> exactly. one, and it'll just shock itself. It's not nearly as glamorous as or gritty and hard yeah. as, as But even you like imagine. you mentioned like call nine one one, it's funny because pretty much all an EMT is is somebody who can keep the person alive long enough to get them to a real doctor. Correct. One hundred percent. I did a bunch of research on the earliest days of emergency medical services, mm-hmm. and it it was bad. Oh, yeah. up until the sixties, because the only cars that used to be able to carry a person like that were hearses. Uh. So funeral homes often did the ambulance service for towns. Uh. And the old joke at the funeral homes was drive them around the block a few times, and we'll have a new customer. Oh my god! They were not well trained. They barely, if they were lucky, if they had like an oxygen tank in the hearse. And this reporter realized in the 1960s that people were getting paralyzed after car crashes for no good reason. And it was that people were untrained showing up. Oh, you got a broken neck. Let me just toss you in the back of the hearse. And then they would end up paralyzed or dead unnecessarily. And they realized that if you just have professionals on ambulances who know how to put somebody on an immobilization board, So you're telling me that if you train people, (laughs) there's actually consequence? Yeah, there's a good... Yeah, and we get better and better training all the time. And obviously, it's gotten way better than 1973, but it was like from 1960 to 1973, there was like a national crisis. And the government stepped in and made guidelines and mandates to make ambulances have trained professionals. Right. And wow, what a difference. (laughs) is not always terrible, y'all, when it comes to just having actual standards of care. Back in the late 18th century and early 19th century, there was a real fear of being buried alive. The tomb of the philosopher John Duns Scotus, who died in 1308, was reportedly found inside his coffin with his hands torn and bloody after attempting to escape. So that's where this generated. Sure. And people had all sorts of ideas on how to create these safety coffins. There were things ranging from a bell on a string that would go to the person's hand and they would like ring a bell. Smart. There were viewing things where you could see them through a pane of glass. Uh There was one thing that I read where you could insert a pane of glass into the coffin and then pull it out and see if the person had breathed on it. 
Oh my god. Now, so this is essentially because there were not the techniques to determine whether or not someone was pronounced dead. Exactly. Because legal death, as we've said, is a yeah. moving target. Yeah. And so people... So even someone that passed out, they could be like, well, throw them in there. Yeah, and people like, you know, it could be a really soft pulse yeah. that is going to come back stronger. And right. they were just like, oh, no pulse. This person's oh my dead. God. What a horrible death. I know. It sounds horrifying. Apparently, some the systems that used cords tied to the body suffered from the drawback that in the natural process of decay, sometimes the body swells or shifts position. Sure. And so accidental tension on the cords caused a false positive. Right. But there's actually no recorded time that somebody was saved by one of these. Well, because then you also just even think about, you know, as superstitious as everybody was back then anyway, if there was a false positive, they oh, then they're like, it's a ghost. Right, I know, <laughs> you know? I know. I, I saw one us. that was like, it had like a giant horn that was yeah. above ground that yeah. went down to the bottom so he could like, right. like from within the coffin. Like, you have to play hot cross buns for us right. to know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Beep, beep, yeah. Boop. And it's like, oh, no, that's he's one note off. That's beep, probably beep, not him. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> ah, he's dead. <laughs> but apparently a lot of these, too, like they had ways of, of alerting the outside, but they forgot to have ways of circulating air. Right. Like if they're like, oh, he's alive. Too bad we're going to have to dig. Too bad we got to dig and he's dead by the time you're done digging. Wow. And then even today... In 1995, oh, there God. was a modern safety coffin, which included an emergency alarm, an intercom system, a flashlight, a breathing apparatus, and a heart monitor and a stimulator. I mean, that's a lot in there for you to be able to mm-hmm. fuddle around with. It's the a little moment. earthquake kit down there. And I know, but if you're in there, you're thinking about <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I'm visualizing fucking Kill Bill Volume Two, right? Right. She's Where trying she's to get out of there. She's got to dig her way out. Like, and the tension and like the sweat that I felt on myself watching oh. that scene, I could only imagine. Oh. Let alone like feeling around for a yeah. a flashlight and then being like, well, oh, no way. This is like after you've woken up in a box. And not well, that's completely dark, and you have no idea what's yeah, happening. Yeah, you can't breathe, and you're probably freaking the fuck out. Yeah. But yeah, like even us talking about this, that the claustrophobia, the mm-hmm. fear of being buried alive, is like horrifying yeah. to me. Some of them were built with like little escape areas that yeah. you could like get onto a ladder, but then they were like, these people might not exactly be the at their strongest point. Yeah. When they're in, when they yeah, wake they're up, they're not gonna. They're not gonna. They can kill crawl the fuck out. Like, <laughs> like even if they had a little ladder. They weren't going to be able to kill Bill their way out of there. Dude, that is fucking wild. I would like to think that this modern safety coffin is a little wider than your average coffin. Yeah. But I don't know that to be true. Could they not have just taken longer to bury the bodies, but then they probably get all gnarly and they, you know, they didn't have the embalming. The fact that there are no recorded cases of a safety coffin saving anybody's life means like it wasn't as much of a worry as people were thinking. Right, right. But it's such a scary idea. That happened to a guy is enough to justify Mm -hmm. these years of fear. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah. like, just thinking about it, like it right. was the the nuclear bunker of the day, right? Because we never want someone to experience that, like the you know the one kid that found a razor blade in their apple, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly, I'm just kidding. exactly. Which I don't even think that's true. I don't think it's true either. <laughs> Wives' yeah. tales, am I right? do favorite lines yeah let's do it at one point he talks about like atonement will set them free mm-hmm. and i was thinking about it and it's not really atonement that sets them free it's closure and so closure is something that we all seek and i think that that's you know the closure of like what happens 
during death right. is like the ultimate closure to go discover. Right. Well, a prime example of closure, Julia Roberts' character, right? Mm-hmm. Like her father who had killed himself and yep. she never had the closure of like saying goodbye to him or whatever. So there, there's that. It's unclear that she even did anything wrong. Yeah, I don't think she did. She just right. happened to be a kid who didn't get mm-hmm. to move on from that trauma in her life. That's something many people deal with. And Keeper's like, you, you got to atone yeah. because you're dead. Well, but then like Kevin Bacon's character, there was a chick that he was really, really mean to in school. He ended up visiting her in real life in this day and, and age and, and apologized. So like, yeah. Again, these are all things like, wow, I really appreciated that. But this is all under the guise of killing yourselves for a few minutes to right. come back. Like, <laughs> yeah. okay. Yeah. Well, we don't know what we're doing next week. Mm-mm. If you guys want to rate and review us on iTunes, that would be amazing. If you want to get in touch with us, we're at No But That's a Thing on Facebook and at No But That's a Thing on Twitter. We're No But That's a Thing at gmail.com if you want to write us anything, if you've had any of your own crazy near-death experiences, or if you have any other articles or anything that you think we would be interested in, we'd love to hear from you. There's message boards on NoButThat'sAThing.com, and we would love to hear from every one of you. Every single one, and I'll cry if we don't. Just kidding. Bye! Bye!